Bishop Robin. I invite you this morning to take the Word of God and turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, if you would. Mark chapter 14. We are getting closer and closer to finishing this wonderful gospel according to Mark. And so glad to be preaching through it. On Sunday nights, we're going through the Old Testament. We're in the book of Exodus. On Wednesday night, as I mentioned before, we're in Ecclesiastes. But for over a year now, we've been preaching through the book of Mark. And we're in Mark chapter 14, verse 53. Mark chapter 14, verse 53 this morning. Mark chapter 14, verse 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And arose a certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands within three days, and I will build another made without hands. And neither did the witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answer thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? And he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And it shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witness? We have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face. And to buffet him, and to say to him, prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Gracious Father, again, we come to you right before we proclaim your word. We ask God for your understanding as we have read your word. Now I pray, God, that you'd help me to deliver, to help enhance the understanding of it. We know it's the, through the foolishness of preaching that men and women are saved. So we ask for your divine help that you would do what I cannot do, that you would proclaim, give understanding of this message through your blessed spirit, from your perfect word to the people that are before me this morning. We thank you for it. We ask God that you give a blessing to the reading of it, now the understanding of it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Growing up, Going to public school, I had to read many books, like you had to read books. Some of them I was glad to read, some of them not so glad to read. But, you know, they're a requirement. I remember reading books like Of Mice and Men. Remember Mice and Men? I remember reading The Great Gatsby. Uh, I remember other books I had to read. Many, another famous book that that is often uh, read in public school. And as I, I heard an illustration recently in 2006, among the English librarians, it was said the most, the most important book for adults to read before they die. Now, this book's a good book, uh, 
but I wouldn't, I'd say this book in front of us is a little better book to read before you die, a, a, a whole lot better book, because that book will pass away. This book right here will never pass away. This book was written in 1960. It depicts a scene in 19, 1930s in South Alabama. Some of you may be thinking about this book, which it, which it might be. It was written by a person by the name of Harper Lee. And it was called, is called, To Kill a Mockingbird. How many of you read or watched the movie, To Kill a Mockingbird? Of course, just a few years later, the famous actor, actor Gregory Peck, uh, became, was the actor in that film. And he was the Atticus Finch, a great lawyer in southern uh, Alabama. Just getting over the Great Depression, of course, uh, much uh, racial issues back in those days in the deep south and he had an opportunity to represent a black man who was accused falsely accused of raping a teenage white teenage girl he represented him even though many of the townspeople and his own family didn't want him to ultimately the black man escaped and was shot to death the man was falsely accused so why do you bring that up preacher because course that was a fictitious story about a man who was falsely approved, accused today we read a true life story about a person who is was will always be perfect named Jesus Christ he was falsely accused we've come to this place in the scriptures and we know as we read this and as you study this even more in depth, you realize that at this point Jesus had been betrayed by his friend named Judas with a kiss, as we looked at. We know his disciples had fled away. They, as he said they would, they would be offended. They would fall away and because of the, the problems, the, the persecution, the tension. They would, they would flee. They would fall away. The closer you get to Christ, the thinner the crowd that is true in this day, that is true in this day as well. And so the temple guards are come to take him. And where do they take him? They take him early in this morning, early Friday morning, they take him to see the chief priests. Of course, this is a clear violation of the entire Mosaic laws. I studied this a little bit more. They took him to a private place. They took him at night. They took him away from the temple. They took him hours away from the Passover, all these were violations of the law. They did not do this justly. But they had one goal, to condemn Jesus Christ and put him to death. That was their goal. They brought forth witnesses. They gave no opportunity for a proper defense, pronounced an illegitimate verdict, and sought Execution the very same day. Even the law said it was given, it was supposed to have 24 hours before there was a verdict, but they had to have their way to condemn and destroy Jesus Christ. What can we learn about Jesus Christ and these chief leaders, these elders, these priests? And what can we learn about this issue of being falsely accused today? Because if you're living for Jesus Christ, dear friend, you will be falsely accused. The Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. I don't think I'll ever have that problem in this lifetime. 
What can we learn? Well, first of all, we see the unlawful arrest, the unlawful arrest. We see the superior in the circumstances. Of course, here in John, John uh, excuse me, book, here in Mark, he goes specifically right to the second part of this religious trial. He goes to the time when Caiaphas is brought Jesus Christ before him. But the Bible explains in John chapter 18, that's why it's good to read both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of all these accounts are called the harmony of the gospel to get all the details of exactly what's going on. And in John chapter 18, verse 12, the Bible says, In the band, the captain, the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Ananias first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, which is the high priest that same year. Ananias had been the high priest earlier from A.D. 6 to 15 and was well-known, well-respected in the land. Uh, eventually, of course, Caiaphas, his son-in-law, would be the high priest. And interesting, as I studied this, he had about four or five other uh, family members that were high priests, men in his family that were high priests. Interesting enough, they controlled the temple. They controlled the money changers. They controlled the money that went into for the, the animals to sell for sacrificial uh, Passovers and such. And so, interesting enough, the name of the place was called the Bazaar of, of Annas. Because of his corruption. We see the superior in the circumstances, but the Sanhedrin in the circumstances. They were to gather a group of these 70 some men, these religious leaders, uh, scribes and, 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 and Sanhedrin, Pharisees. They were corrupt men. The Bible says in John chapter 18, verse 20, and Jesus answered, I spake open to the world. I taught in the synagogue, in the temple, where the Jews always resort. The secret, I've said nothing. They had many an opportunity to come to Jesus and, and to talk to him, to, to question him. But now, secretly, in this place, before Ananias and then Caiaphas, they secretly met with them because they knew what they were doing is wrong. Whenever we do things in secret, it's a telltale sign something is wrong. How many of you as, as kids did something you didn't want your parents to know? Uh, you did it because you were afraid, right? Remember what Adam and Eve did? They, what did they do? They went and hid themselves after their sin. And so why is these people, why is, why is the Sanhedrin, why is this group of uh, religious people gathering early hours of the morning outside the temple? Because they knew what they were doing was wrong. The Bible says in verse 21 of chapter 18 of John, Why ask you, now thou miss? Ask them what they heard. What have I said unto them? Behold, they know what I said. When they had thus spoken, one of the officers was stood, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answers thou the high priest so? And Jesus answered him, If I have sp spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? And Ananias sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So Ananias hears him first, tries to trip him up, tries to ask him questions before sending him to Caiaphas. Now recognize these people which are doing this were religious people. They were religious people. If you would say to them, they, if you would ask them if they do they know God, they would say yes. If you was to ask them, do they believe the, the scriptures, the Old Testament, they would say yes. They were religious but they weren't righteous, okay? They were outwardly clean, but they were inwardly corrupt. They were outwardly clean. They wanted to give the appearance of righteousness, but inwardly they were corrupt. 
Listen to what Jesus said about these people in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within are full of extortion and excesses. Thou blind Pharisee, clean first that which is within the cup and platter, that outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but within full of dead men's bones and full of uncleanness. Even so you also appear righteous unto men within... You are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. What is the number one struggle that we struggle with as Christians? Hypocrisy, right? We struggle with it ourselves. These religious people outwardly are seem religious, but inwardly they're corrupt. I don't know about you, but the most difficult people to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ is religious folks. Because, dear friend, before you can be found, you have to be lost. But I don't, don't knock on the door of a many a person. And I say to them, if you died today, do you know you'd go to heaven? And say, yes, I go to Catholic Church. Oh, yes, I go to the Baptist Church. Oh, yes, I go to the Methodist Church. Oh, yes, I go to the, or I'm, my parents are, but dear friend, no church will say, save you. North Gainesville Baptist Church can't save you today. Uh, even if, why, if you wanted to, and I wanted to, getting you in that cold water, it wouldn't save you. If you put in the plate a million dollars, God bless you, it wouldn't save you. <laughs> it wouldn't save you. Now, Pete would be happy. But St. Peter wouldn't let you in. No, there's no St. Peter letting you in. Okay. <laughs> Salvation is not what you do. It's who you know. But for so many people, so many religious people, it's all about what you do. It has been said that most people go to hell through the door of a church than the door of a bar. And I believe that is true. Because a person in a bar, he knows he's wrong. He knows what he's doing is wrong. But a person in church, and there's people sitting in churches all over the world right now who think by being there, they are being saved. It's getting them into heaven. How do you know that? Because that was me before I was saved at 17 years of age. I sat in the Baptist church way back in the back as far as I could get away from the preacher. And I thought, man, I've come to church. I'm going to go to heaven. I heard him preach. I walked, even walked the aisle the first time. Went back there and heard the deacon give me his spiel. How I needed to be saved and how God loved me so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. And I believed it intellectually, but I didn't know him personally. And there are many a person sitting in church today, maybe in this room today, intellectually believing God, but having no real relationship with God. Because, dear friend, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. For Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It's not by religious works, but these people are religious. They're religious. Outwardly, they look good, but inwardly, they are corrupt. If you want to read more about how religion and Christianity are different, read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read the Trail of Blood and what religious people have done to righteous people over the centuries. And it will shock you. 
And, dear friend, it's happening right now all over the world. And it will happen to you. For all they that live godly shall suffer persecution. If you stand up for where you believe where you work, if you stand up for where you believe where you go to college, if you stand up for what you believe in your home even, you are going to suffer persecution. It's not a question of if. The question is when. But dear friend, you will suffer persecution if you stand up for Jesus Christ. These people are religious, but they were unlawful. So we see the unlawful arrest but the unlawful evidence. What was the purpose of the false witness? They sought for a witness against Jesus to put him to death, verse, 50, verse 55. Secondly, the pursuit of the false witness. They had passion in that pursuit. They sought. They looked for they tried to find somebody. They tried to find a witness. Remember, this is early in the morning. This is all happening all at once. Oh, I'm sure they had some type of plan, but then they have to go find somebody. They got to go pay somebody. They got to go bribe somebody to say, hey, will you speak up against Jesus Christ? Will you say these words? Or they're seeking passionately for this. And they're, 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 they, they have a prejudice not only seeking a witness, they're seeking someone who will say what they want them to say. Not just say what the person thinks, but says what they want them to say. Say that he's guilty, that he's wrong. You see, the purpose in the false witness to put him to death, the pursuit of the false witness. But thirdly, let her see the problem in the false witness. They found none. <laughs> Many bear faultless witness against him, but the witness agreed not together. They, they problem, first of all, they had a deficiency. They couldn't find any. Well, you know, the 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, it's hard to find folks. You might find a few folks walking up down the road, but not a whole lot of folks in that place. Interesting enough, when I was over in Israel, even on the Sabbath, it was really amazing. It, it, it was like the old South growing up. I remember going to church on Sunday. You would hardly find five or six cars, and you'd look over there, and they were all dressed up going to church. It was kind of like that in Israel on the Sabbath day on Saturday. There were very few cars out because they actually practiced Sabbath day over in Israel. So they couldn't find a whole lot of people. You see the, 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 the deficiency. They see, secondly, you see the disagreement. The witnesses couldn't agree with one another. Why? Because they're having to make it up. One person said this. One person said that. They weren't in agreement. <laughs> things weren't working out for the Sanhedrin like they thought. Fourth, they see the, perverse, the perversion in the false witness. Verse 57, there arose certain to bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. Within three days I will build another made without hands, but neither so did their witness agree together. Oh, they heard him say, and you can find this in John chapter 2, that Jesus said, you know, in three days I will, build, I will tear down this temple and build it back up with my hands. What was he saying? He was talking about himself. That Jesus Christ would, would die for the sins of all mankind and within three days rise up again. He wasn't talking about the temple. To talk about the temple in those days was, was a very serious crime and you could be arrested. But they misunderstood him as they had always misunderstood him. He was talking about himself. He was not talking about the temple. You know what? We have to be very careful. Because Jesus was falsely accused, we must be very careful about falsely accusing other people. You know, the Bible, remember the Bible says, one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That's still in the Bible. 
That's stealing the Bible. That means you don't go up there and say something about somebody if you don't know what you're saying or you don't have any evidence what you're saying. You're just saying it. Anybody can make accusation against anybody. But dear friend, as Christians, we ought to do something better, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16, the mouth of two witnesses or two, three witnesses shall he be is worthy of death to be put to death, but the mouth of one witness he shall be not but put to death. Uh, Paul reiterates this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. This is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Just because somebody comes to me and says, Preacher, have you heard about so-and-so? Well, just because you say it doesn't make it so. Right? And you've got to have evidence. Again, it's not just accusations. What is actually happening here? Is there two or three witnesses? Remember? First Kings chapter 21, there was a man by the name of Ahab, and they had a wicked wife by the name of Jezebel. And one day he looked over to this vineyard, and he saw this vineyard that he really, really, really wanted. I'm sure it was beautiful. It had all types of trees and fruit trees and beautiful vineyards. And he thought to himself, oh, I'm going to go speak to Naboth, and I'm sure because I'm king, he will give me the vineyard. But Naboth said, no. This is the land of my inheritance. This is my land. I'm not going to give you this vineyard, king. I know you're the king, but this is mine. And what did Ahab do? Well, you know what, Ahab, uh, Naboth, that's just good. You know what, it's yours. It's been in your family for years. That's, that's right. I'll just bless you and thank you. Know what he do? He went home to his wife, Jezebel, and he did the old poochie lip disease. Jezebel, you're not going to believe this. You know Naboth? Yeah, I know Naboth. He wouldn't give me his vineyard. What? Don't you know that you're the king? You're not just a simple servant. You're the king's. You are the king. Oh, I'm the king. No, you're the king. No, we're the king. Somebody's the king. I will take the vineyard. And what has happened? She had two sons of Belial, two wicked men, basically say, said that Naboth blasphemed God and the king. Because they got these two people to say that they did this, Naboth was killed. And the vineyard was given to Ahab. Oh, dear friends, we got to be careful, careful. That's why the Bible says in James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. We know what we are. We're swift, we're swift to speak. Mm, sometimes we shouldn't say something. Sometimes. The Bible says, he that keepeth his mouth and tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Now, it doesn't mean if something's wrong, you don't mention it's wrong. But, dear friend, be careful. When you come to me as a pastor, hopefully anybody in this church, and you say, hey, preacher, I saw something. I want, first thing you ought to do, if you see something wrong, go to the person that was wrong. Isn't that what the Bible says? In Matthew chapter 18, there's an offense between you and another brother. You don't go and put it on social media. Hey, this happened at church today. You go to that brother and say, hey, what happened was offensive. That was wrong. And if, you don't, if that person won't hear you, then you take two people. If, you, if three, two people won't take you, you go maybe take three. And ultimately, after that process, then come to the leadership of the church, the pastors, the deacons. But you know how often that, ever, that, that happens in a church? That much time. That many times, usually. It usually comes straight to me, and, and i got to say, well, i got to deal with it. And I ask, did you talk to Talk to. No, go talk to them. Go, go, go through the process. It's in the Bible. 
go through the process. And dear friend, when you have to talk to somebody about something that was offensive or something that was wrong, can I give you some suggestions? First of all, right timing. Right timing. You see, sometimes it's not the right time. Secondly, the right tone. You can have the right tone, right time, but you could say it the wrong way. Ever, anybody ever had that happen to you? Yeah, I'm sure. And thirdly, right tact. You use tact how you say it. Be careful about being accusatory. I believe in the United States of America, we are still innocent until proven guilty, right? Isn't that still true in America today? And isn't that how you would like to be treated in America, in the church today? So be very, very careful about bearing false witness, especially against your brother and sister in Christ. I think that's important to say. So we see the uh, unlawful arrest, the unlawful evidence, and the unlawful interrogation. It says in verse 61, chapter 14, Answers thou nothing? What is that which they witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace and answered nothing. Christ refused to hear these false charges, refused to respond to these false charges. We see the confronting about the silence, but the confronting about himself. Again, the high priest in verse 461 says unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He'd come to the place where Jesus was going to have to answer. He could have said nothing. He could have, he could have, he could have been kept quiet. But Jesus says in verse 61, I am. I am. And he goes on to say, the prediction in verse 62, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power of power and coming in the clouds of, of heaven. What is he saying? I'm coming now as a sacrificial lamb, but my coming back as a, as a lion of the tribe of Judah. I'll come now to sacrifice myself for the sins of every person, even from you, Caiaphas, and all these people, on the, these high priests, these religious leaders, these scribes, these Pharisees. But one day I'm coming back in judgment. I'm coming back in judgment. There's a prediction. We see the unlawful arrest, the unlawful evidence, the unlawful interrogation, and the unlawful indictment. How the, priest, how the high priest Caiaphas react? Well, verse 63, the drama and the conclusion, he, he rent his clothes. Of course, this drama means basically something profound has happened. It was a sign of great, great grief. It was a sign of great of great. Uh, a great issue when a, when a person in this society would rip their clothes. It was, it was pain and suffering and sorrow because of what is said. So obviously he's doing this to cover up because he knows what he's doing is wrong. We see the drama of the conclusion, but the design and conclusion. What need we any, fur, any further witness? It's signed, sealed, and delivered. Everything's done. He's going to be killed. He's going to be crucified. He's blasphemed. He said he is God. We don't need any other evidence. We don't need any other trial date. Let us destroy him. And we see the defamation in the conclusion. You have heard the blasphemy that he is God. Blasphemy is a, was a crime. To say something that was not right, to say th something that was 
was, was wicked or speak against God was a, was a terrible thing. And, and oftentimes, even on our day, we casually say things that we should not say, don't we? Oftentimes, even in our society, we say things in vain. Be careful about using God's name in vain. I, I don't ever refer to God as the old man upstairs. I don't, I don't, use, I don't use God's cas- names casually. His name is holy. His name is righteous. His name is true. His name is pure. Oh, dear friend, be careful about blaspheming the name of God. And the death and the conclusion, what think ye? They all condemned him to be guilty. First, we see the law of God, the Mosaic law decree, the death sentence for blasphemy back in Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 16. And secondly, the law of the government. They would bring him, because they could not kill him themselves, they would bring him before Pilate, and they would have Pilate, the Roman government, destroy Jesus Christ. That was their plot. How did they, tr- how did they treat him after this, after this uh, defamation? Well, they desecrated him. They spit on him. Verse 65, some began to spit on him. One of the worst things you could do to disrespect somebody is to spit on him. They began to spit on the lovely Lord Jesus. Furthermore, they didn't stop there. They began to smite him. They began to buffet him. The servants to strike him with the palms of their hands. They began to speak to him. Cover your face. Cover your face and prophesy. Which one of us hit you? Which one of us slapped you? Can you imagine our lovely Lord Jesus going through all of this and he could have stopped it with just one thought? With just one word, he could have called 10 trillion angels to deliver himself from them. But he didn't. He didn't. They spit on him. They smote him. They laughed him. They mocked him. All for you and me. All for you and me. Dear friends, how are we going to respond when we're falsely accused. You ever been falsely accused of doing something you didn't do? Well, first of all, realize that God's in control. I believe God's in control of my life. Amen. I believe God is sovereign. I don't believe that we're just going through life, happenstance, luck, just what happens happens no I believe there's a design just like I believe there's a designer I believe there's a design for my life I believe there's a purpose for my problems now so many a time and if we're honest we bring these problems upon ourselves right I mean dear friend I can say this last week I'm sure and like you I've done things I'm ashamed of And I had to confess, our, confess my sins. The Bible said, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of, this, all of us this week have probably done something we wish we didn't do, right? We bring pain upon ourselves. We bring problems upon ourselves. Sometimes we even bring persecution upon ourselves. But what happens when you're trying to live for Jesus Christ and you're persecuted or you're, somebody bears witness against you falsely? Understand that sometimes in life, God allows these things in life to help us. To help us. To keep us from pride. We all struggle with pride. Sometimes the best thing in life is just to fail. Sometimes the best thing in life is to go through problems. Sometimes the best thing in life is to be purged. To go through it. 
You see, dear friends, if Jesus Christ went through it and it was the very will of God, sometimes we who are a whole lot less than Jesus Christ need to go through it too for God's desire, the perfect purpose in our life. You see, this was all God, part of Jesus' plan. He said it to his disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He began to teach them, The Son of Man shall suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, be killed, and after three days rise again. A couple chapters later, a little bit later, Mark chapter 10, verse 33, he says, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, the Son of Man shall be delivered to the chief priests, to the scribes. They shall condemn him to death. They shall deliver him to the Gentiles. How, how are they going to treat him? He says it. They shall mock him, scourge him, spit on him. They shall kill him, and the third day shall rise again. Everything that's happening, Jesus said it was going to happen because it was God's plan. You say, why am I going through these issues? Could it be God's plan for your life? Could it be, possibly, that God knows better than you and I about life? If he is a loving father, he is always going to do what's best for me. He's going to do what's best for me. He's going to do what's best for you. Why? John chapter 3, verse 17. We read 16 a lot. What about 17? But God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world. That through the world, through him, might be saved. For he that believeth him is not condemned, but he believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus had to go through these things so that we might be saved. And you may be going through the situation in your life, the perfect will of God, so that you might be saved. Now, many a person has come to their wits' end in prison. And gotten saved through problems in life oh I've heard many a testimony of a person who said I was at the bottom of the barrel I was in trouble I was in difficulty I was in pain I was going through all these issues in life I had nowhere to look but up and at that moment of my deepest grief and sorrow and trouble I looked up and I looked to the only one that could save me, Jesus Christ. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. And sometimes in the deepest, deepest pains and sorrow, we look to Jesus Christ and live. Secondly, realize God, not only is God in control, but secondly, respond in a Christ-like manner. And this is a hard thing to do. Easy to preach this this morning, but hard to live this. How did Jesus respond? Well, Peter, he knows. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, who by whose stripes we are healed. For ye were sheep going astray, but now you return to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. How did Jesus respond when he was whipped? He didn't threaten. How did he do when he was suffered? When he suffered, he didn't call down angels. He didn't escape. He didn't try to get away. He didn't try to do some type of trick. He didn't ask for help. He suffered it. 
How, how do you and I respond when things don't go the way we, way we want them to? Oh, man. Hey, just a couple temperature difference in this room, people get a little bit bothered. If I preach another 15 minutes, some of y'all are going to get bothered. <laughs> just a little bit of discomfort. Oh, the waitress got my order wrong. I'll never go back there again. <laughs> I didn't get the right Christmas present. Some of you are still mad about that. It's March. You're still mad you didn't get your Christmas present right. Oh, it's too. Oh, it rained yesterday. I had my whole day planned. Oh, no. Well, I think God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, right? We go through just a little bit of issue, we get mad, but when we get, we get squeezed just a little, little bit of problems in our life, get a little cold, get a little sickness, get a little problem. Oh, I'm persecuted. I don't get to go to Disney today. Oh, we go through so little. Jesus Christ went through so much. He went through so much. How are you going to respond when you're persecuted for the faith? Dear friend, things in this world are going to get darker unless a revival happens, and I pray revival does happen. I need it. We all need it. Amen. I'm for it a thousand percent. But ultimately, things are going to get so dark that Jesus Christ is going to come take us away in the rapture of the church. I hope that happens today. But if it doesn't happen today and days do get darker and it gets harder for us to live as Christians in this, in this world, in this city, which is continually, continually gets darker, how are we going to respond when people say things about you, when they falsely accuse you? How are you going to respond? I tell you what the flesh wants to do, just to give up. Oh, I think I'll go to another church. Oh, I think I'll quit Christianity. I think I'll stay home and watch Charles Stanley again. Or Adrian Rogers again. That's not Christianity, folks. No, that's for some folks who can't. I understand. But for the majority of us who can, God's will for us is to gather together and fellowship with one another. That's God's will. That's God's will for our lives. It's to be in church, to love one another, encourage one another, and sing these old songs to God. To worship the Lord Jesus Christ and to hear the preaching of his word. That's his will for that's our that's God's very will for our life. But when you're dealing with other human beings, we're all human beings in here, sometimes we're not always gonna act like Christians, are we? Somebody's not gonna shake your hand right or not shake it at all. Somebody may may be sitting in your seat this morning. If you've been sitting in that same seat for 30 years, but somebody sat in your seat this morning. Or you got upset because on the way here from wherever you're from, somebody pulled out in front of you. Man, I was going home last week. I missed this last Sunday night after a good lunch with some dear friends, going home, driving left lane, going to Turkey Creek, getting there pulled in the left like I had hundreds of times before. And all set in front of me, I'm driving 60 miles an hour, getting ready to slow down, turn left. Here's this cool car pulled right in front of me. I had two choices. Hit the joker, die and go to heaven. Didn't think it was right to do that. Or swerve, go to the right-hand side. Try to miss him. GT Ford comes up behind me, tries to get around the whole situation. She and I, she's got herself and two babies in the back. 
we barely, we barely just thank God we barely tap each other. She could have hit the ditch, flipped over, been hurt, and her two kids have been killed. Their insurance, man, <laughs> their insurance on it. Before, before I've come to church, Harley, they're calling me, are you okay, sir? Are you okay, sir? Are you okay, sir? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Next day they call me. Hey, tell me about everything about it. And I know I don't have to tell them everything about everything, but I go ahead and tell them everything. After I tell them the honest truth, they say, well, you know it's your fault. You mean it's my fault that I didn't kill ourselves? That I didn't go just slam right into that guy who pulled out in front of me? The guy who didn't even stop? The guy who kept on going to Turkey Creek who didn't even know if we were alive or dead or nothing? You mean it's, it's my fault? And I don't know what it was. What is it about being falsely accused? You just, you just get upset. It's, it's, I just about died yesterday, and it's my fault. It's my fault. We struggle, don't we? We struggle. How are we going to respond? How did Jesus respond? Jesus went to the cross so we could have everlasting life. Dear friend, we have an option today. We have an option today to trust God's will for our life. I don't know what God was doing for purpose last week, but I know he has a purpose and a plan. Maybe to witness, maybe to be an encouragement, maybe to, maybe to swallow my pride. I don't know. But God has a purpose and plan in all of it. I just got to trust him. We sing trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I think that's how we ought to live too. Amen. That's how we ought to live. But to trust God sovereignly, we must first trust God personally. Do you know him personally? Because you know what? My flesh, my flesh, as soon as that happened, I wanted to go find that joker who, who, who pulled out in front of me. If that had been old party hardy Marty Moon back at 17, oh, it would have been a different outcome that day. Sunday, Sunday would have been a bad day for me and that person. It would have been a bad day. I'd have hunted that guy down. And I really wanted to, but thankfully my good wife was right beside me. No, I shouldn't. No, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. Do you know God personally? Because knowing Jesus Christ will change your life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Now, you're not a perfect creature. Now, you're saved, but you're going to get perfect when you get to heaven. You're not perfect down here. We're still in the process. We're in still growing stage, amen? Some of us takes longer to grow than others, but we're all growing, right? In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're all growing. Do you know him personally? And secondly, do you trust him sovereignly in your life? Do you trust that he has plans for your life, has designs for your life, that he has a purpose for your life, that the struggle, the difficulty, the problem, that even the pleasure is a purpose for your life, that he, you might be more like God's son, Jesus Christ. Do you know him personally? Are you trusting him sovereignly? Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to be in your house again on this Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. Help us, Lord, can be mindful that you love us, Things that we go through in life, the difficulties, the, the good, the pleasure, for a reason, for a purpose. Sometimes we don't quite grasp or understand, but may we trust you knowing that you are always good. You're always good. Maybe there's someone in this room who, who you don't have a personal relationship. 
Maybe like these religious leaders, you've been religious. Maybe that's just how you've been taught your whole life. I just go to church. I do. I would dress up. I come. I sing songs. I go back home. But nothing ever is different. You come. You go. But your life is not different. You really don't have a relationship with Christ. It's just the coming and going, the praying, maybe occasionally reading scriptures, but there's no change. There's never been a change in your life. You've never repented of your sins. You've never acknowledged your sins before before God and repented of your sin. Oh, dear friend, recognize that we're all sinners. For the Bible says all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God committed his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The whole reason why Jesus went through this, the spitting, being smitten in the face, the laugh, the jeering, all of it, the crucifixion, the dying, the shedding of his blood, so that he could purchase your salvation by shedding his blood. He loved you so much. He loved you so much that he was willing to die for you. He was buried, rose again the third day, conquering death and hell. If you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you're here and you've never done that. But just like there was a day you were born, there's a day you need to be born again. If you don't know that time you were born again or you know that's never happened, I invite you to be saved today. To know that you know Christ as your personal Savior. To be a Christian. You say, preacher, I don't know Christ as my Savior. I am religious. I've gone to church my whole life, but I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I really want to. God forbid you get on that old road today and something were to happen to you and you didn't survive. Let me ask you, would you go to heaven or hell? Would you go to heaven because you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Or would you go to hell because you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Preacher, I don't know Christ or I don't think I know Christ as my Savior, but I really want to. I don't want to risk it. I don't want to chance it. I really want to know Jesus as my Savior. Would you pray for me today? Anybody like that at all? Raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. It's just me and you. I'd love to pray for you. Anybody at all, preacher, I'm just not sure. I'm having doubts. I want to be saved. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? You're a Christian. Are you struggling with God's sovereign plan for your life? Maybe a bad marriage you're going through. A bad divorce. Maybe it's bad finances. Maybe it's a bad job. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's suffering. Are you willing to trust him who died for you through this? Oh, the circumstances may not even be your fault. Would you trust him? Say, preacher, I'm struggling with trusting God as being sovereign in the situation. Would you pray for me today? Would you pray for me? I'm struggling. I'm struggling not getting bitter. I'm struggling not getting upset. I'm struggling not getting mad. I'm struggling not responding properly. Would you pray for me today? Anybody be honest? Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm struggling. I'm honestly struggling. If you're honest, we all struggle sometimes. We all struggle sometimes. Let's stand to our feet. As the music plays, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you're a man, Brother Clayton would love to take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. If you're a woman, my wife will be here and show you how you can be saved. We'd love to talk to you just for a few minutes about your salvation. But if you're here today and you're struggling with something, you're struggling. How am I going to respond? Would you come and just give it to God this morning?